You're listening to Because We're Dangerous, a dark matter podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. The premiere of Dark Matter is fast approaching, and in this episode we thought we'd talk about why we're excited about Dark Matter, as well as some of what we know about the series thus far, which actually is quite a bit. If you haven't been aware, one of the showrunners, or maybe the showrunner, I'm a little unclear, uh, Joseph Malazzi, hopefully that's how we say his last name, (laughs) has been blogging and tweeting about the production. It's actually been really neat. Have y'all been following any of that at all? Yes. Yeah, I uh, look at it almost every day, and I'm amazed at how much detail he puts in and has time to do it, and he commits to his blog, and he's been doing it for years. Yeah, he's been putting up a post every day about- Every day, yeah. About the production, and has really just shared a whole lot of details without, I don't think, being super spoilery. It's not like he's talking about things Mm -hmm. that would- give away or ruin the experience of watching the episode the first time, but he's just given a lot of background information about casting and all sorts of stuff. Props and costuming and yeah. And Dark Matter has kind of an interesting history. It apparently was an idea that germinated between Joe and his one of his kind of writing partners, Paul Mully. I'm going to guess on his last name as well. They worked together on the Stargate franchise And they had this idea of like a crew that wakes up in space and don't know who they were, but it kind of got put on the back burner for developing to TV for a bit. And they ultimately they wrote a graphic novel about the idea to begin with. And Annie, you've actually read the graphic novel already, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And I could very easily see once Joseph Malazzi said that the first two episodes you know, it's kind of like a two-parter, but I could see how it could be broken down with the way the graphic novel was broken down. And I think there's some interesting twists. I could see where like the end of the first episode would be and the beginning of the second one is. And uh, I'm really excited to see how it plays out on screen because I've, you know, read the graphic novel and then with some of the promo shots and some of the trailers that have been released, I'm like, wow, it's really cool to, to literally see it come to life. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they said that it departs from the graphic novel, right? After, like, the initial episode or two? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you have the graphic novel, but then they wrote, you know, so many more episodes, so, you know, they can can continue or depart from the story. Yeah, it's interesting. The Dark Matter graphic novel, it's widely available. You can order it on Amazon. I found it in a comic book store near me. And it's called Dark Matter Volume 1. I don't know that there'll ever be a volume 2. We'll see. (laughs) But it seemed like maybe they started it with the intention of writing more. But either, I'm not entirely clear, either they ran out of time or just they decided to direct it their efforts more into getting it picked up to series. Because I know that that's really what they presented, the production team that they're working with. They presented the graphic novel to them and said, here, here is our proof of concept about our series. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a script and a storyboard combined into one. Yeah. I really like at least the cover the cover art and some of the panels that I've seen from the inside of the graphic novel. I haven't read it yet. I was debating about whether I wanted to before the series started or not. Do you have any thoughts about that, Annie? Should should people wait or should they go ahead and read it? I think either or is fine. I th- Like I said, I think it's a really good story and you want to see where it goes after this. So I totally see how they can build on what they have with the graphic novel and create more of a world building and create more stories because with this premise, it's um, pretty easy to 
create ongoing stories, I think. Well, let's talk about the premise. The way that Sci-Fi's website describes it is the crew of a derelict spaceship is awakened from stasis with no memories of who they are or how they got on board. Facing threats at every turn, they have to work together to survive a voyage charged with vengeance, betrayal, and hidden secrets. Dun dun dun. <laughs> As opposed to the open secrets. Yes, the the, op- yeah. the completely in the open, always revealed secrets. <laughs> because they all wake up and start doing kumbaya. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it is a really interesting concept. I was trying to think: is this a common trope in sci-fi? I feel like waking up and not having memories is something I've seen before, but it's usually something you do in the middle of a series rather than at the beginning. Yeah, kind of. But I feel like the there there's it seems to be like a crew of diverse people, and that is a sci-fi trope. You see it with. Farscape, you see it with, I don't know if you see it with Firefly, you know, it's just kind of like this, you have your ship and you have your crew and you have your premise. You know, those are the very basic bare bones, but um, I want to see where this one goes. I'm also reminded with this premise a bit about the sci-fi trope of like the ship floating in space with nobody on it, but you find something dangerous on it instead. I, obviously, this isn't the same thing, but I think in this case, you do have this element, if they want to play with it, I don't know if they will, of they have no con- no idea of like the ship that they're on, what else might be in it, what exactly their surroundings are like. Yeah, a little bit of alien-esque type stuff. Yeah. Actually, come to think of it, I think you are right. There is fairly often on like a space series, an episode where they come across some other ship that looks like it's abandoned, but it's not. Exactly. Exactly. There's that episode of Firefly that does that. I can think of a Star Trek episode that did that. I think it was a Next Generation episode. Yeah. And they all ended up like sick or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's always a virus or a monster or a plague or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I don't know if there's going to be an element of that on this series, but it, it just I just thought of that particular sci-fi trope when I was reading the reading the description of it. But I was reading a bit of an interview with Jay Firestone, who is one of the executive producers of the series, and he said what really appealed to him about Dark Matter when he was reading the graphic novel was that the characters were so interesting to him. He, oftentimes, he says it feels like the big draw of sci-fi shows is that, oh, there's all these neat special effects and it looks really cool. But here, it, really, the characters were very compelling as well. And I think it's fair to say that the three of us are really into shows for the characters, right? Yeah. I don't always have a penchant for sci-fi space shows, but it has to be with good characterization first. I think that's why so many people enjoyed shows like Battlestar Galactica or whatnot. You know, it's in space, but it's about real flawed people. And Jay Firestone, his production company, Prodigy Pictures, also produced Lost Girl. And that's, I think, a big reason why we we were attracted to the show was its Lost Girl connections. And that also, is, I think, is something you could say about Lost Girl is, yes, there's these fantasy elements to the show, but it, what really drew me to the show in the beginning was how great the characters were. Yes. So I have high hopes that that will also be the case for Dark Matter as well. Me too. So let's talk a little bit about the characters. So it seems like we have seven characters, six of them, their character names are numbers, because remember, they have no memories. So apparently they give each other number designations, at least for a while. And then we have a character called the android. Or just android. Is it the android or android? They keep referring to her as the android. (laughs) I know, the android. (laughs) 
<laughs> just to distinguish her from the other androids on the show? I don't know. They just like yeah, articles is yeah. what it is. So we'll start uh, at the beginning with one, the character named One, who also on Sci-Fi's website, they had other nicknames for the characters that I thought were kind of funny. His AKA <laughs> is Pretty Boy. <laughs> so does everybody else call him Pretty Boy then? Or Maybe. Just one? I can imagine yeah. when they first are like meeting each other. And they don't mm-hmm. know each other's names. Like, well, what are you saying about that pretty boy? You know, kind of derisively calling him that too. I mean, every, every diverse group has the one character who's like the nickname giver, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often a true. sarcastic nickname giver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Several of these nicknames seem pretty sarcastic, but we'll, we'll get to those. So, so one pretty boy, he apparently is the supposed to be kind of the moral center of the show and Joseph Malazzi on his blog, he compared the character in casting. He said, if it helps compare the character to Brent Ben Browder's character, John Crichton. Is that how you say Danny? Yeah. On Farscape. Which, which I thought was awesome compare comparison, but yeah, I think Crichton is also really sarcastic though. And I wonder if one is going to come off that way, mm. but Crichton had a really cool sense of humor, but that seems to be more in line from, what I see with three. Anyway, I'm getting out of myself. And the thing that I found most interesting reading about Joseph Malazzi's thoughts about this character is he says, I wanted our audience to sympathize with the rest of the crew, but empathize with one. So he seems to be a big anchor for, or maybe like an audience entry point, an entry point for the audience into the show. I think I did see something too that was talking about how one, as opposed to the other characters, didn't have like a very particular skill set. Which, yeah, surprised me because I was like, wow, doesn't everybody have their skill set? They seems like they might have been on this ship or they know how to run it or they know how to do weapons. And I'm like, well, what's this guy's purpose? He's got to know how to do something. Aren't they all badasses? So it was very interesting for me to hear that. Maybe so he's, be- he's there so they'll have something nice to look at. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but like, wouldn't that be sort of the thing why the audience would empathize with this guy as opposed to the yeah. other characters? Cause- Absolutely. Well, yeah, exactly. As much as we all, you know, as much as an audience perspective, we can go, oh, this character can do this and flips and kicks and whatever. It's like one seems to represent what it would be like if we were in this situation. And the actor who's playing him is Mark Ben-David. And looking at his his list of credits on IMDb, it doesn't look like he's had a really a leading role before, but he's had recurring roles on Hard Rock Medical, not familiar with that one, Degrassi, The Next Generation, and Bitten. I have not seen any of those shows. Actually, I watched I like either. an episode or two of Bitten, but, but that was it. Well, and he was only in three episodes, so you might not have even seen him. There you go. Moving on to two... She is described as the de facto leader of the group and is a master fighter. It seems between her and four, they're really the the skilled fighters of the group. Uh, I like her uh, sarcastic name, Boss Lady. (laughs) Yes, Boss Lady. And I found the actress who's playing her, Melissa O'Neill, kind of interesting. This is her first television role. She is a theater actress who's been in productions of Les Miserables, and I think she even was on Broadway in Les Miserables, and Jesus Christ Superstar. And she was actually the first female winner of Canadian Idol. And looking at her Wikipedia page, I noticed that her, I think it was her second single from her album, was called Let It Go, released in like 2005. And I was like, oh, so close. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was the other Let It Go. Oh, well. Oh, well, you'll let it go? 
Yeah. Oh, well, she okay. she probably should let it go. <laughs> okay, that's bad, guys. <laughs> it Please was, move on. It was intended to be. I know. Did you just tell us to let it go? <laughs> she did. Shut up. <laughs> O'Neill also has some mixed martial arts experience. And Joseph Malazzi was praising her for her ability at fight choreography because she's so she has training and she's so good at it. They can often do really long, uninterrupted shots of fight scenes when when two is supposed to be fighting people. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. And then three is played by Anthony Lemke. And he's apparently supposed to be sort of like like the Han Solo type of character. He does have a vest. He does mm. have a vest, yes. And I, I would say something about the like the the holster that has the I don't know what those are called. That have the little tie Holsters? around the thigh, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they all have them. They do. Yeah. I don't know if you've looked at the promo photos, but everybody has one. Yeah. Everybody has at one. least one. But he's got two guns that he seems to like very much. I guess he likes his guns more than most people. Immediately, his character is reminding me a bit of Jane from Firefly. Yeah, I was thinking that too. In reading the descriptions and such. And even just sort of like the aesthetic of the character is a, is a little bit Jane. Yeah. He's also described as a mercenary, which again, Jane. Yep. So I feel like they I've seen in, in articles uh, them talking about three and one really being at odds with each other. Because as a mercenary, he's probably more likely to be very pragmatic and practical and a bit more ruthless. And one is supposed to be a lot more moral and ethical. That is what it looks like, yeah. And Anthony Lemke, of course, if you've seen uh, The Listener or Lost Girl, he's been in those. He was also on 19-2. I don't know what 19-2 is. And I don't either. And I'm not even sure how to say it. Is it 19-2-2? Is it 19-2? I'm uncertain. I don't know. But it looks police the show. <laughs> police yes. That makes sense. And he also had a part in the Bomb Girls TV movie, Facing the Enemy. Yeah, Joseph Molassi said that Anthony Lumke, he does a lot of ad-libbing, though he's very respectful about it, and he asks first on set, and he tends to bring a, a lot of humor to the role, which is really what he was looking for, for the person to play three and in reading about three i think anthony lumpke is gonna knock this guy out of the park it seems like a character very much in his wheelhouse that he could do really well agreed yeah i agree i mean i i think i'm looking forward to the humor see that that's where it kind of reminds me about john Crichton from farscape but humor and guns so we'll see <laughs> but and i because i've read the graphic novel there is this point where his character has to make a decision and uh kind of changes his mind, you know, whether to, you know, make more of a moral choice or not. And he's kind of wrestling with himself. And I think it's kind of cool. So I hope that comes out with the uh, first few episodes. Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to Anthony Lemke being in this role. And he looks cute with guns. So he's very and attractive. Anthony he is Lemke. very attractive with or without guns. But this, you know, this is a very I, attractive like, cast. It is. Yeah, I, I like the promo pictures of him. And then four is played by Alex Malari. Malari, do we think? I think so. Alex Malari Jr., who is stoic and apparently some sort of badass with swords. <laughs> that is the big thing we seem to learn about four from the promo. He had he does some ex some impressive swordplay, and apparently they call him Slashy McStabberson. <laughs> because why wouldn't you call somebody Slashy McStabberson? <laughs> I would think you wouldn't want to anger the dude with swords, but that's just me. 
<laughs> well, even though he is lethal with a sword, he seems to be, from the description, kind of even-tempered. So maybe he can he can take a, a, a sarcastic nickname. Let's hope so. For the sake of, otherwise it'll, you know, six will just go down to like three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've been promoted, six, you're now three. Oh, speaking of sarcastic nicknames, I forgot to mention that Anthony Lemke's character, three, his his nickname is Sunshine, which I believe must be a sarcastic nickname, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Though I wouldn't be surprised if he was the character who came up with everybody else's nicknames. <laughs> It really does. I think he he is. I could just see that happening. At least half of them, right? Slashy McStaverson. This is not me necessarily, but some cynics might go, wait, why do you need swords in space when you have guns and explosions and stuff like that? Close range combat, Annie. (laughs) Well, no, it reminds me. It reminds me of that scene in Starship Troopers where one guy goes, well, sir, why do you need, you know, knives? Why do I need to train with this, sir? And he goes put your hand on that wall. And he goes, what? And he puts the knife through the guy's hand, this guy that he's training. And he goes, well, he can't push the button on the gun if he doesn't have use of his hand. <laughs> so it's a very good point. Who knows? Uh, those uh, Slashy McStaverson and his skills with the blade, I believe will come in handy. I'm just amazed that you just referenced Starship Troopers. I have a friend who uh, watched it several gazillion times, and I was forced to, and might have become a guilty pleasure once or twice. So, and also, I mean, guns jam and run out of bullets. So, mm-hmm. and then they're just it's good true. for being a heavy thing to hit people with. And then you end up breaking the gun, and then your very expensive weapon is broken. Swords don't run out of sharp very fast. They're still That's pointy. True. <laughs> and Alex Malari Jr. has had a has had small roles in a number of series. Uh, including Beauty and the Beast and The Strain. But it seems like this is his first big TV role. Yeah, most of his listings on IMDb were for characters such as Guy Drinking or Guard Somebody. So very few of his characters had name names. And so I feel like this is he and Michelle O'Neill seem to be kind of newcomers to especially television acting. If you follow Alex Millar Jr.'s tweets, he's... uh uh, very passionate about working out, so I'm looking forward to the shirtless uh, four scenes. <laughs> I mean, he just seems to have an incredible work ethic on set and um, is very, very not appreciative of the fans he's uh, garnered so far. They and even he, have a name for themselves already. Yes, the Four Clan, hashtag Four Clan. Yeah, I think he mentioned on Twitter that he's lost something like 30 pounds yeah. Getting t- training to do this role. So he's put a lot of effort into getting the physicality of the role right. Jodel Furland plays Five, a.k.a. the kid. And to me, there's some st- there always seems to be a kid yeah. on the, the renegade crew type things. This one seems to be kind of telepathic or, you know, we don't quite know what her abilities are. So she seems to have memories of the ship and maybe who they were and they I get from the promos, it's like all the memories, they might come in pieces or something. She might have clues to, you know, who they are and where they came from. But seems like she's getting into trouble all the time and has a quick mouth. And to me, that kind of reminds me of a character from Farscape called Chiana, who again was like the younger member of the crew who always said what was on her mind, didn't have a filter. So 
Uh, I think this will be cool. She's um, very cute and has lovely green hair for the role. And, Is it uh, green or blue? I'd call it blue. It's, it's greenish teal. blue. Okay. Yeah. I always, whenever people think something is blue, I think it's green and vice versa. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) It is a greenish blue, I would say. Okay. Okay. Fair. She's also described as having a knack for mechanics. And her aesthetic is very Kaylee Fry from. Thank you. From Firefly, (laughs) yes. I was like, she seems like a combination from the trailer, at least. She seems like a combination of Kaylee and River. A little bit of River thrown in. Right. Mm. With the seeming telepathic abilities, yes. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading that the this character in the comic books was much younger, but when they were casting the role for the television series, when you you know when you have younger character actors when they're under I think about eighteen or so, you have to get a tutor on set for them. It's kind of a pain. They could have to work much shorter hours, so they just at first I think he uh, the uh, Joseph Malazzi suggested hiring a high school dropout. <laughs> People, <laughs> people didn't like that idea. So they, they instead they cast uh, Jodell, who's a little bit older. I think she's 21, but she looks very young. So depending yeah. on how old the character is supposed to be, I could probably buy her as young as about 16, 17. Plus, there's a whole thing of, you know, if it, if your show runs for a while, you probably don't want to have somebody who's noticeably going to age while you're filming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you hire a teenager, you know, they will noticeably change in appearance between the ages of, you know, 16 and 20. You know what I mean? And that could be a problem depending on how the timing timeline of your show is supposed to work. Yes. Like Orphan Black what has a very at. compact timeline. <laughs> and so having the young actors on the show is sometimes like, oh, it's only supposed to have been a few months since the start of the series. And the actors look a bit older who play the very <laughs> young characters. So it looks like Jodell, she has quite a resume. She's appeared in movies like A Cabin in the Woods and the Twilight series and Eclipse mm-hmm. and was apparently at, to- at the top of Joseph Malazzi's list to play five because she had caught his attention when she guest starred in a Stargate episode. And I think he commented even then how professional she was and how she knew everybody's lines and not just her own. So. He has also described her as an anime character come to life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hence the hair. <laughs> yes. I love Roger Cross, who plays Six. I love his his nickname, Tiny, because he's this huge he guy. He's huge. <laughs> yeah, huge. And I, I think he's immediately christened with the name Tiny. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I described as an imposing figure amongst a group of intimidating individuals. But I like that. He is seems to be described with them as a man of integrity, and he seems to form a bond with uh, Five, from what I read. So uh, hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I think I've read that somewhere. So I have also read that. Yeah. In seeing the promo, I was struck by even though he's a very large man, he does not come across as a particularly aggressive person. Mm-hmm. Like I think Three comes across as a lot more assertive and yeah excitable than he does hot-headed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes but yeah he's he seems to be a little bit more quiet on the surface than three who's like the loudest i also thought it was interesting joseph malazzi mentioned that they opened the role to either gender or whatever gender for the auditions during that process they ended up obviously with roger cross but i thought given the description of the character it was interesting that they were willing to consider women as well for the role i believe he said that mm. roger cross was always the first choice though 
Yeah. And they mm-hmm. were, yeah. for a while, weren't sure they were going to be able to get him or thought they weren't going to be able to get him. Because he's on everything. He is on everything. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know how much he was on until I, you know, was reading his bio earlier, I think yesterday or today. Yeah, he's on Continuum, Motive, The Strain, Arrow. You know, he was on The Guard. He was, you know, he's been on everything. Yeah. If it films so in very, Canada, he's, one of he's those been guys, in it. Yeah. yeah, so he's one of those guys you might go, I've seen that face everywhere, mm-hmm. but I can't place him. Yeah. He was in an episode of Orphan Black. It's like, if you are a, t- a genre TV fan and you haven't seen Roger Cross in something, I'd be very surprised. <laughs> so I'm like, I hope they can keep him. If he, Because when I read how many things he's doing, I'm like, they better keep him if they get picked up for more seasons. He's part of the crew. Apparently the person in charge of scheduling everything their title I can't remember at the moment. Line producer, I think. Yes, thank you. The line producer did an excellent job of coordinating with whatever other show he's on right now. Maybe it's The Strain, I don't know. Did an excellent job of coordinating schedules to so that they could actually have him be on the show. And then finally, we have this actor we've never heard of who's playing the android. <laughs> Do you know this gal? Z- I don't know. Zoe Palmer? <laughs> This is called I'm sarcasm. Kidding. I'm kidding. That is sarcasm. I think even Annie got that. Horrible pronunciation. <laughs> so finally, we have the lovely Zoe Palmer playing the android. And the android. The yes. android. And she is probably what attracted us to this project in the beginning. We have another podcast that we've been doing for several years about Lost Girl, and we are all big fans of of her from Lost Girl. So even before we knew anything about the show. We were like, hmm, so that's Zoe's new project. And I will say, though, even if Zoe wasn't on the show, I'd be interested in watching the show. It sounds like it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I, w- I definitely would have given it a shot. And especially because, um, again, Prodigy Pictures is behind it and the producers. So, yeah, and it's a, it's like my kind of show. But her character, who has already gotten the nickname Zobot. by <laughs> Zobot, Zo, a couple things. But Zobot, I think, is my favorite so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they are trying to go a little bit more, t- not really a data type android from, from Star Trek Next Generation. They described her as closer to maybe Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. She's supposed to be android-ish, but also have kind of an, a vulnerability and childlike quality to her as well. But then I get confused because they're like, it's not like data, but data had those elements too. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it's executed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know some of these other references that they're saying about, you know, this android is like this character and this one. And I'm like, okay, but it'll be really interesting to see how it's written. Because I think, I don't know, it's been a while since I've read the graphic novel, but the android is not quite, um, I don't think it's quite fleshed, fleshed out in the graphic novel. So I'll really be interested to see what they're doing. I had heard that the android character is actually male in the graphic novel. Is that right? Yes, but when they put the when they opened up the role, they opened it up to both sexes or both genders. Excuse me. The android is not in the trailer very much, so I feel like we don't have as much of a a sense of her character as maybe we do with the others. We're just we just see little glimpses of her. She's mostly kicking Roger Cross's butt a little bit. It looks like it. W- I, I wouldn't say so much. 
kicking his butt as it is disarming him. Overpower. And yeah, yeah, that's then, true. Like yeah. a, a hearty shove. Yes. Fair. He, she's overpowers him very, very easily considering how large he is and how slender Zoe Palmer is. So there's a, an element of that. I know a lot of people who enjoyed Zoe Palmer and Lost Girl looking forward to her having that type of a role with more of a, a physicality to it. I did show that little sneak peek thing where they, you know, they show they show Zobot waking up. I showed that to my dad and my dad like thoroughly enjoyed that promo, which amused me. He seemed pretty tickled by the whole thing. But like we mentioned, she had a lead role on Lost Girls. She was also on The Guard back in the day. She's been doing a lot of independent Canadian movies as well recently. And Joseph Malazzi talking about her said that she gave three different interpretations of the character when she was called back. She gave the original interpretation, an interpretation with a British accent, and one with the Jamaican accent. <laughs> I'm still okay, not sure Zoe. if that's a joke or not. <laughs> I'm not sure either. In it, it, I, I'm going to post links to all of these posts on Joseph Malazzi's blog where he did introductions to each of the characters. And in the one for the android, he includes text messages that Zoe sent him during production <laughs> and one of them was the she starts by saying something like so we should shave my head right and he replied was like yeah and, and eyebrows too i think she's like okay sounds good by the way midway through the season i'm gonna switch to a norwegian accent no big deal <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're very funny so you should take a look and and see the, the conversations that they had with each other so i've only watched the trailer for the series because i tend to be Pretty spoiler avoidant, but there's also been some sneak peeks, little uh, bits of scenes from the first episode released. Have y'all watched those? Uh, no, I have not, because I was trying to be uh, pretty spoiler avoidant as well. I've seen at least the one. But I will, however, post links so you can go watch them if you if you so choose on, on the show notes for this episode over at our website, askgenretv.com. That is A-S-K askgenretv.com slash darkmatter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. We are at darkmatterpod, and we are also on Tumblr, darkmatterpod.tumblr.com. Our email address is darkmatter at askgenretv.com, and we are very much looking forward to the first episode. It is very, 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 very soon that the show is premiering, and I'm really excited. Me too. It'll be a good early birthday present, because it's a few days. Before my birthday. During the season, we're going to be doing discussions of the episodes, of the Dark Matter episodes, on the podcast, and we would love it if you shared your thoughts about the episodes as well. You can use all those ways to contact us that I just mentioned, including, I'll say it again, our email address, darkmatter at askgenretv.com. I'm so glad you could join us for this introductory episode. My name is Stephanie. My name is Annie. And my name is Chris. I don't know how to end this. And we can't think of a proper ending for this episode. Because we're dangerous. Urgh. <laughs> <laughs>